So we're continuing on in uh, this series in the book of John. So in John chapter 3, 1 through 21, where we're going to meet this guy named Nicodemus. This guy, Nicodemus. Uh, all I can get in my head is a former pastor uh, that I worked with who always used to call this the Nick at night story. And I was always like rolling my eyes. Like there's so many things that, it's kind of one of those relationships where like with, with a mentor or with like a parent where you're like, I never want to repeat this, the silly things that person said. And then you're like, ha ha, Nick at night. It's that Nick at, oh, I'm doing it. I'm, that was so cheesy. And yet like I'm that guy now. He's like, eh, Nick at night. So if I call him Nick or say Nick at night, just you have all, you, know, you can groan, roll your eyes, whatever you want to do or need to do, feel free. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. It seemed really important to introduce the sermon with that, but here you go. Um, we're looking at this, though, and I want to remind you, as I've reminded you each and every week uh, in this series, that John's gospel has a purpose. John's gospel has a purpose. Each of the gospels, I would say, do have a purpose. But John lays his out at the end where he says he's gathered these particular stories. I think it's important because then the details of the story matter. The details of this Nicodemus story matter because John says, I've gathered these particular ones, these stories, told it in this way, so that you would come to know Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. So he says, that's my purpose. I've gathered these particular stories so you would believe Jesus is the Son of God and have life in his name. That eternal life, abundant life that Jesus talks about, the only life that's truly worth living. Uh, the story of Jesus and Nicodemus is one that I find very fascinating. It's full of all kinds of crazy information, and it's, it's confusing at times. It's ambiguous at times. But what I want to kind of do is I actually want to go to the end of the story where John kind of gives a summary account of what this, this, this encounter was about. I want to look at verse 19 through 21 first, and then I want to jump up and tell the story because I think that there's a, a hint in verse 19 as to what, what John is trying to accomplish in telling this story. And you don't see it in the English text. This is one of those times, I don't always love to do like according to the Greek, but this is one of those times where the Greek word is very fascinating because in your translation, if you have it opened, and in mine, I have the, the New International Version, verse 19 begins, this is the verdict. The verdict. In other translations, it might say this is the judgment. What's very fascinating is that word verdict or judgment right there in Greek is krisis, or this is the crisis. I love that. This is the crisis we are facing as humanity. Written again with the purpose that people might have life in Jesus, life in his name, everlasting life, eternal life, the best life ever. John right here says this is the crisis Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. He says there's a crisis facing each and every person. There's a crisis of faith facing each and every person. And that crisis is, will we step into the light or will we remain in the darkness? Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. He continues on, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. They stay in the darkness, the crisis. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whoever lives by the truth, whoever wants to have this life that Jesus is talking about will step into the light. But the crisis is we have to decide which are we going to do, live in the darkness or be exposed. And so we have this story of Nicodemus. Let's go back to the beginning because I think that this is a story that shows a person, an individual who's in a crisis. Nicodemus is in a crisis. And I think in in a certain degree, if you will, you'll find that you can relate to Nicodemus. Each and every one of us to a certain degree with various levels of what's going on in your own life, you can relate to Nicodemus and the crisis he's facing whether he will step into the light. And so we have this story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at night. Nicodemus comes in the darkness, John tells us. He comes into the darkness to meet Jesus. And the question is, will he actually step into the light? Will he fully be exposed as someone who's interested in Jesus and willing to follow Jesus? He comes at night under the cover of of darkness. Why does he have to hide? Why doesn't Nicodemus just go, man, this guy Jesus is so fascinating. The light of the world has come. Here I am. Jesus, tell me more about who you are. No, he comes at night because the text says Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a man who's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So see, he's part of the religious authority. He's part of the group that possibly stands to lose some power if this Jesus movement catches on. He's part of the the, the group of people that if there is anyone in the Jewish community who still has any shred of power under Roman rule, it's these people. So he has power. And he sees this guy Jesus. The Pharisees see this guy Jesus. And he comes and if you saw what he did last week. If you were here last week, he has the audacity, this guy Jesus, to walk into the temple and flip over tables and scatter the money. He pulls a whip out and it's like, whoa, this guy's, this guy's serious. He's not messing around. Now, so some people, they saw that and apparently a guy like Nicodemus is curious and says, whoa, if he can do that, If he has the authority to do that, if he can do these kinds of things, maybe they heard the rumor about the water into wine incident. He says, I need to know who this guy is. And so he's kind of stepping into the light a little bit, but he stays in the shadows. He comes at night because he doesn't want to be fully exposed. He's part of the ruling class. He's part of the the religious leaders, and so he has to be careful. He doesn't want to be fully outed. Oh, you're you're running with him. We're going to see that later. Later on, we see Nicodemus' story unfold. He shows up again in John 7 and again in John 19. So there's a thread where you can kind of trace Nicodemus' spiritual journey with Jesus, his stepping into the light, if you will. And it doesn't happen all at once for him. So I say maybe you can find a little bit of something for you to connect to Nicodemus in his story. Now this light and the darkness thing is a theme in John's gospel. Light in the darkness is a theme in John's gospel. From the beginning, John, uh, what I like to call John's Christmas story, which is just the strangest Christmas story at all. When you tell kids that this is John's Christmas story, they're like, no, it's not. There's no baby Jesus. What are you talking about? 
Pastor Chad. In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made. That You're following, right? In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is a theme of John's Gospel, this idea that Jesus is the light. And you need to step into the light to have life. But Nicodemus comes at night. He's in the darkness. Nicodemus is about to have a crisis if he hasn't had one already, if it hasn't already begun. So the exchange begins, if you're following along there. He comes in the cover of night. He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. It's an interesting statement. I think in part this reveals this kind of crisis of faith Nicodemus is having, right? You hear this wrestling there. Rabbi, he admits you're a teacher. I've seen the things you're doing. And I at least know that if you're doing those things, you must be sort of special, sort of unique. Because not just anybody can come and do the things you're doing. So you're doing these things, you're kind of blowing our minds, but we're not really sure who you are, where you're from, or what you're up to. He's not really ready to fully just jump in and go, I'm in the light, I'm fully exposed. You're the one, you're the Messiah, the Lord. He's hanging out in the dark. Rabbi, teacher, we see what you're doing. And we know that if you're doing these things, you must be from God. He's at this crisis point. So he's curious, though, because his spiritual instincts, his instincts as a religious leader, a spiritual leader, knows that this is someone worth paying attention to. He's seeing what he's doing, saying there's something worth paying attention to, but again, the power dynamics at play makes it so that he's a little bit leery of jumping all the way in. Because what if he's wrong? He stands to lose power. He stands to lose something if he jumps in with Jesus. Crisis. He's at a crisis. Jesus responds in the only way Jesus could. I love this because Jesus, we've seen over and over again, uh, Jesus, it seems like these opportunities where Jesus could just go like, listen, you're right. I'm a rabbi. I'm from God. Watch. Boom. Okay? Look. Follow me. Let's go. Get in the light. And instead, he says says these really ambiguous things. Last week, we saw this. He's flipping over the tables, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What authority do you have to do this, man? And and instead of saying, like, well, I'm the son of God, he goes, well, listen, tear the temple down, and I'll raise it again in three days. And they're like, what? What are you even talking about? We're talking about the tables and the driving out. He's like, tear the temple down. And they're like, but that took 46 years to build. You can't. It's just confusion. So again, this guy's like, hey, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's from God. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Totally self-explanatory what that means at the time. (laughs) Everything's good to go. Nicodemus says, I'm all in. Where do I sign? This is a confusing statement. Now, we have to remember we're 2,000 years removed from the situation when this was first said. Those of us who were raised in this, like, evangelical circle, we are all, like, born again. Yeah, hallelujah, I know what that means. 
But Nicodemus, he didn't understand this at all. And that's clear because the next thing he says is, um, let me find it because I want to read it because it's interesting. How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So he's a little bit confused, to say the least. See, Nicodemus is thinking like, you're actually saying I need to climb back into a woman's womb if I would like to see the kingdom of God. He's actually going there, people. That's what his mind went to. The spiritual leader in the community is like, wait, so I'm kind of interested in you, Jesus. I kind of see what you're doing. Tell me more. And Jesus says, hey, man, you want to know? You want to see the kingdom of God? Yeah, I want to see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. Born again? Like, I got to climb. What? That's gross. Sorry, that's the youth pastor in me that's like, what? No, that's icky. What are you talking about? And Nicodemus apparently, and in all the, uh, the ways that he's portrayed in art, is, it, it, they, they think he's an older guy. He's older, he's an older man, and he's like, this is crazy. Be born again, enter again into a mother's womb. What? What? And so Nicodemus is just confused. He's at this place of confusion. And, and here's another interesting piece of the puzzle here. This is why there's, there's just so much ambiguity and so much what is going on here, actually. Jesus doesn't just put all of his cards on the table. You wish he would. See, this, this phrase, born again, is actually, it's, it's kind of an ambiguous phrase because it could mean, quite literally, the way Nicodemus me, takes it to mean, that he means be born again. Like, go back in a womb, be born a second time. There's a second meaning that could be mean uh, be born anew, like a new creation. Be born anew, like a rebirth in that sort of spiritual sense. And there's a third meaning of this word in Greek that means he could be born from above. Be born from above. So there's some confusion or some ambiguity in the, in the word. And so you have Nicodemus picking up on one of those pieces and saying, I think you're saying I need to be born again. And some have said, this is a really fascinating thing uh, about this particular thing. Some have said that, see, to, to be Jewish and to inherit the kingdom of God meant you had to be born of Jewish parents. So it was important that your bloodline was pure. That's how you would get into the kingdom of God. So there's a sense that he is thinking like that. Like, man, for somebody to get into the kingdom of God, they've got to somehow be born of Jewish descent if they're not already or something. And it's like Jesus is going, no, 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 no. And he launches in to this other thing. So how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirits. So he says, no, I'm not talking about the flesh, fleshly birth that you're thinking of. We're talking about Spirit giving birth to Spirit. He says, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. And he gives this example. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, in a certain sense, Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about the born again in the physical sense. I'm talking about being born from above or being born anew, made into that, what Paul picks up on later, the new creation. You are a new creation when you are in Christ. That's what I'm talking about. But it seems like Nicodemus doesn't have categories for this. 
And so he, he still is in this crisis at this moment that what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Being born again, being born of the Spirit. It, it made me wonder, did the people at this time, in, in terms of their kind of religious understanding and, and their, their following, did they have an idea that the Spirit can do fresh things, new things, that the Spirit can move? Or was his sense that it's, it's got to be a formula? There's a formula to this. And, and I don't want to go too far with this, but there is a certain sense that the religious teachers of the time and the Pharisaic tradition of which Nicodemus would have been a part, they actually were looking more for, not, not, we, we always give these guys a bad rap. Like they're just bad dudes. And we have to remember they were doing their best to teach the people how to follow God. They weren't trying to lead people astray. But they had created rules upon rules and systems upon systems that got them actually further and further from God, kind of unintentionally. And in doing so, then they had kind of gathered some power in, in the way of saying, this is what it means to follow God. We are the ones who can show you what it means. So within that system, it leads me to question whether they would have room for an idea of the Spirit moving where it pleases. Because that's not the controlled system, right? Right? That's not the control. This is how you do it to follow God. It's no, Nicodemus, step into the light. The Spirit moves where the Spirit is moving. Will you follow? Will you catch it? Will you step into the light? And it's clear to me, it's clear to me that they must not have much of a, a framework for this idea of the Spirit because after Jesus says this about the Spirit moving where it pleases, Nicodemus says, how can this be? See, he's still really confused. This guy is a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He knows the text. He knows it in and out. He's under the cover of night, and he's just so curious. He wants to step into the light, but he's so confused by what Jesus is saying here. Be born again. How can I get into my mother's womb? No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. It's not about climbing back into your mother's womb. It's about the Spirit is moving and doing something. Will you catch it? Will you be born anew, have a new life in me, in Christ? That's what he's saying to him, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't have categories, and so he says, how can this be? I don't know if you've ever been at a place like that, just this kind of crisis of faith moment where you're, you're listening to someone or you've had an experience of the divine and you're just going, how is this even possible? I, I hope that you find some solace, some comfort, some hope in the fact that this guy is a religious leader. He knows, he's, knows it all. And he's looking at Jesus and going, what are you even talking about? But he stays engaged in the conversation. We have to stay engaged in the conversation when we have these spiritual wrestlings, these questions. And we're in that crisis of, am I going to step into the light? Am I going to be exposed? Am I going to step into the mystery of this situation? Because I dare say many of us, we do like it to all be neat and ordered, right? It's so much easier when it's just like, this is the answer. Do this, that's the answer. That's the system Nicodemus is largely working in. And now he's encountering this Jesus person who's saying, step into the light, into the, maybe even the chaos. It might feel chaotic compared to where you've been, where the Spirit is moving where it pleases. Whoa, let's put that Spirit back in a box because that sounds crazy. How can this be, Nicodemus asks. 
And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Ouch. You are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. Ouch. He's just like going after him now. I have spoken to you of earthly things you don't believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven. And now here's where Jesus gets into revealing a little bit about who he is. And I love this because it's like he's not just, he's not berating Nicodemus. You didn't pick up, you didn't see it, you, didn't, you should have known the scriptures. He's saying, let me reveal to you who I am from the scriptures. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He uses Old Testament language there that you'll find in Daniel and Ezekiel about the Son of Man, the hope for the one, the Son of Man. I'm, I'm thinking Nicodemus's ears are perking up here a little bit. Wait, no one's ever gone into heaven. No one's, wait, are you say, what are you saying about yourself? And then he says this weird reference. Maybe I'll explain what this is about. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. In case that is a very confusing reference to you, that would have not been confusing for Nicodemus he would have 100% know exactly what Jesus just referenced and his mind would have maybe exploded. See, when the people of God were wandering in the wilderness, the people of God, Moses is leading them, they're wandering in the wilderness, right? And they came across some snakes, just like you might come across hiking around this area. And these snakes were biting the people. Not good. No one wants to get bit by a snake. This guy, no, no thank you. I'm out. Game over. I'm going back to Egypt if that's the case. I'm out of here. They're getting bit by snakes and they're poisonous snakes and the people are dying and they cry out to God and God's solution, the solution for this problem is that they actually create kind of, it's not, I don't know how to even describe it. It's, like, it's a sign, a symbol. It's like a totem pole type thing with a snake on it and the idea is that Moses will lift this up and if people look at it, they'll be saved. They'll look at the snake and they will be saved. This is the system that God created for them to be saved, to be healed. So Jesus says, like the snake lifted up that healed and saved you, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is saying, it's alluding to it at least, and, and whether Nicodemus picks up on this or not is, is hard to know, because at this point, the dialogue stops. And that, that's the part that's so frustrating to me in these stories, is the dialogue just stops. And you don't know what Nicodemus does with this. But Jesus is clearly alluding to the fact that the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? He is the Son of Man, will be lifted up. And whoever looks at him will have life like those who looked on the snake were healed and had life. So the invitation is there to Nicodemus to step 
into the light to look upon the Son of Man who's right there in his presence and have life. But like I said, the frustrating thing is that we don't know. We don't know what Nicodemus does. In this moment, the text doesn't say, then Jesus prayed the sinner's prayer with him and Nicodemus came to faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and uh, had his eternal salvation card and he was good. We don't know! I don't like that. I wish we knew. Nicodemus has this interaction and we are kind of left with the crisis. And that's why I kind of wonder if, if John leaves these stories this way, the gospel authors leave these stories this way, that you and I might imagine ourselves in these stories. And we might imagine ourselves being curious, seeking after Jesus, asking him these questions, again, like I said earlier, where we may have had an experience and we can't explain it. We feel like, the, the, however you want to describe it, if you want to use the, the word God, it felt like God was there. The Spirit was there. The divine was there, but you can't explain it and you, you don't understand it and it's maybe a bit ambiguous, but you're in that kind of, I don't, crisis seems like a good word for it. What do you do with that? Do you step into the mystery? Or did Nicodemus just go, eh, I'm not so sure about this. I think the fascinating thing again about Nicodemus is that he has something to lose. I mean, is he going to go back to his Pharisee buddies and tell them, hey guys, this is Jesus? He's the one. He's the Messiah. This conversation I had with him, he gets it. He described himself as the Son of Man who will be lifted up to save us all. Did he share that with anyone? Or was he at such an internal crisis that he just kind of shrunk back into the darkness? And said, I'm not sure about this right now. Can you relate it all to Nicodemus? Have you had those experiences where you go, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not sure if I'm ready to step into the light. But what would it mean to step into the light? It's interesting here, there's this interesting transition now to, to get to kind of the end and the conclusion where it's confusing whether Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus. Most Bibles, if you have like the red letter Bible, they end Jesus' words at verse 15. And now verse 16 starts with kind of, this is John's summary, John's narrative conclusion to the Nicodemus story. And here is where we have these amazing words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I kind of wonder if that's not a conclusion. I, I kind of tend to think that maybe this is a concluding thing, that this is, you know, John here entering in, and the Nicodemus story ends at this kind of pause, this rough pause of Jesus saying, hey, the Son of Man will be lifted high. Will you believe? Nicodemus, will you believe? And, that, and we end the story right there, and then John says, here's the deal. God sent his Son to save the world. Will you believe? Will I believe? Because this is the crisis. Light has come, but people loved the darkness instead of the light. 
Frederick Buechner, I just love some of his reflections. He says, Jesus said, I'm telling you God's so in love with this world that he sent me down. If you don't believe your own eyes, then maybe you'll believe mine. Maybe you'll believe me. Maybe you won't come sneaking around scared half to death in the dark anymore, but will come to, come clean, come to life. God's motivation in sending his son was love, to save us, to save the world. Whether Nicodemus picked that up, whether Nicodemus understood that that's what was happening here, we don't know. But I think the invitation is to you and to me, wherever we find ourselves this day, is to step into the light a little further. I think each and every one of us, myself included, we have a fear of being exposed, a fear of somebody knowing what I truly believe about somebody, something, somebody knowing what I truly am about. Something. We all have these things where we go, ah, I'm not sure people would still get it if I stepped into the light. I'm not sure I really want people to know that thing. Don't, can you relate? I think you can relate. If you're human, you can relate. But the invitation Jesus keeps putting out there is to step into the light that you might find life. That you might find life. Later on, Nicodemus shows up in John chapter 7. He appears again, and this time it appears as though he actually defends Jesus. So it's kind of nice that John reinserts Nicodemus back into the story so we can see that there is something to a spiritual journey. Whether you know someone who's on that journey, whether it's you who are on that journey of sort of creeping into the light out of the darkness, we see that in Nicodemus there is some movement in the text. In John chapter 7, he appears again and he's with the chief priests and the Pharisees and the temple guards come back and the chief priests and the Pharisees, they want to know why they didn't arrest Jesus. Why didn't you arrest that guy, Jesus? And they say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. This is the temple guards. And the Pharisee says, you, dece- you mean he deceived you also? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? What a question with Nicodemus in the room. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, they say. But this mob that knows nothing, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus pipes up. Oh, he's going to step into the light a little bit here, folks. He steps out a little bit and he says, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him? See, Nicodemus already heard him, right? He already went under the cover of darkness. Here's his moment to step a little bit into the light and you can see what he stood to lose because they say to him, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. He gets slammed down trying to say, maybe there's something about this guy, Jesus. Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? No. Well, maybe. Maybe Nicodemus has begun to step into the light on his spiritual journey. Maybe we see the, the crisis of faith that's happening. He's, he's coming a little bit more into the light, and he shows up one more time. 
John chapter 19, after Jesus' death, we're told that Jesus and, or sorry, that uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea come and prepare Jesus' body for burial. It's a moment that, that at this point, there's a witch hunt on, right? I mean, if you believe in Jesus, this is what's going to happen to you if you believe in Jesus. He's been crucified. And at this point, Nicodemus comes, he takes the body, he helps prepare Jesus' body for burial. It's a kind of a beautiful picture of, we don't, we don't know what that means. It doesn't say, that's it, that's all we get. Has he fully stepped into the light and said, here I am, I believe in Jesus, enough? Maybe. It's been a powerful thing to do, to step out at this point, to hang with the followers of Jesus at this point, after Jesus has been crucified. I just wonder for us, for you, for me, as you think about Nicodemus, as you try to relate to the journey that he was on, and maybe, maybe you can't relate. Maybe you go, you know, I, I've been fully into the light. I'm all in. But if you're just in that place of going, I'm not sure, and you're relating a little bit to Nicodemus, so there's some area of your life where you go, that, that's a part where I still haven't really stepped in. You know, we like to divide our lives up. Maybe for some of you, it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm all in except when I'm at work. I, I don't want to talk about faith at all when I'm there. I remember students, you know, like, man, when they come to, to church, it's like they can talk the language, and then they go to school, and they're like, no, 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 no. I would not be talking about Jesus with my athlete friends, my classmates. No. Is there a place where for you, that's what it would mean to step into the light, to have that conversation with a coworker, with a neighbor, a classmate? Maybe it's even a family member. You're the only member of your family that has kind of stepped into the light and is interested in, in this Jesus thing and what he's doing in the world and how he's changing your life, but you haven't really told anybody yet. What would it look like to step into the light? Finally, I would say for all of us, as we're facing kind of this crisis, if you will, this, this crisis of faith, this sense of, and I'm not saying crisis of faith of like, you know, you're going to believe or you're not going to believe, but this crisis of what do you do in these moments where you feel like there's something going on and the Spirit is moving you, how do you step into that? I would ask us all to pray deeply as we try to, to, to navigate, the, as I mentioned last week, just the craziness of our world, the craziness of, of all the things going on around us. And as we prayerfully consider, is the Spirit Jesus talked about, is the Spirit moving us into places of light? To step out of the darkness and speak up against things like racism, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, these things that are in our world that's like, is the church going, are we going to step out of the light or into the light and say, you know what, enough. We're the ones who are going to speak up. We're going to get out of the darkness. We're going to get these things that are in the undercurrents of our society that are nasty and we're going to step out of the darkness and say, no, there is light in this world and bring light into the darkness. Will we, what will we do? What will we do with those things? I want to move us to a time of prayer right now as we come to the table, as we consider all of these things. It's maybe a strange ending place, but just want to, as you seek the Lord and seek to figure out what does it mean for you to step into the light a little bit more? What are those things that you're afraid of being exposed? What would it look like to be free from those things and say, here it is, here am I, here's me?
I think God can handle it. Maybe you need to have a conversation with, with the Lord this morning as we move to the table that he might search your heart, search my heart to see where we need to step further into the light. Would you pray with me? God, this morning we, we ask that we would hear your voice, that we would experience your presence. We hear this story of Nicodemus and it's, it's a bit jarring because, it, because we can relate. Lord, we can relate to being in situations where we may stand to lose some power or social status or just feel embarrassed about stepping out and saying, this is who I am, this is what I believe. We can relate because sometimes we're confused by what we've experienced, Lord, by something even that you have done in our lives. It it confuses us, God, and we're not sure what to do with that. And so it seems as though Nicodemus was in that place, Lord. We can relate. God, we're comforted by the fact that Nicodemus was on a journey, a spiritual journey where it seems as though you, you continued after this, Lord, by your Spirit's presence. You continued to work in his life to the point where he spoke up in front of the other religious leaders. To the point where he spoke up, to the point where he outed himself. He, he went and he took the Lord's body from the cross. God, for each of us, Reveal to us what it would look like in our lives to step fully into the light. Reveal to us, Lord, those fears we have, those worries, those things that we don't want others to find out, the the fear of being exposed. God, and in revealing that to us, Lord, may you give us courage to step out, speak out, God, that we might find forgiveness, healing, release from those things that are enslaving us. God, as we move to your table now, would you speak to us as we come together as a family, as we gather around this table? Would you continue, Lord, to be present in this place in a tangible way? We thank you, Jesus. We pray this all in your strong and powerful name, Jesus. Amen.